This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you. Everyday heroes like firefighters, teachers, farmers, and healthcare workers. Doctors and hospitals across the region have IBX, and they know what it means to have reliable access to care. So whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life, count on IBX, the region's number one health insurer for 85 years. Learn more at IBX.com. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good afternoon and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. It's February and we know it as American Heart Month. The CDC and the NIH share the message that it's a time when all people, especially women, are encouraged to focus on their cardiovascular health. That's because women in the U.S. are experiencing unacceptable and avoidable heart disease and death. Over half of U.S. women do not realize that heart disease is the leading cause of death for women. This year, the Division of Heart Disease and Stroke Prevention is encouraging women to listen to their hearts and speak up for their health. Joining us today is Dr. Helene Glassberg, Associate Professor of Medicine at the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, and a cardiologist with a special interest in preventive cardiology and sports cardiology. And to increase the chance to prevent heart disease, she focuses on risk assessment, cholesterol management, and lifestyle modification. And today we'll learn the latest developments in these areas. She's also the president of the board of the Greater Philadelphia Region of the American Heart Association, along with being a top doc in Philadelphia and in America. Of course, we already knew that. <laughs> now, I have to say, Helene, welcome. Do you mind if I change your name from president to, wait for it, queen of hearts? <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Queen of hearts, man. Yes, thank you. I, I wish my camera were working today. Maybe it's better for everybody that it's not. But I am wearing red. <laughs> Go for red was February 2nd, but it's February 24th. There's a two in that. Yes, you're right. It's it's Heart Month. So while February 2 kicked off Go Red for Women, it is Heart Month all of February. Well, welcome again, Helene. It's wonderful to have you, you back. Thank you. So let's start with heart disease as the number one killer of men and women. But we still need to convince women that their prevention and healthcare is more than just a mammogram. I mean, we go through that with colon cancer as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really important to recognize this because, as you mentioned, heart disease remains the number one killer for both men and women. And while we don't approach our risk of our male counterparts until some years later, we do have the same 
risk of death. And so we need to not only relay this to women to get preventive early, but doctors too. So raising awareness around the, the whole scope of the disease is really important in lowering these cardiovascular risks for both men and women. Mm -hmm. And I know that you spend so much of your time and energy on prevention because we had a great conversation the other day. You can't control your age, sex, or genes, but am I right? 80% of the risk factors are in your control? That's right. 80% of the cardiovascular risk factors are at least modifiable. So within your control with both lifestyle and sometimes medications. And that's why you should work with your doctor to get preventative. So, you know, 80% of them includes obesity, sedentary lifestyle, and, and healthy eating. These are the modifiable ones with what you can do. But the others, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, um, and d diabetes, these are both modifiable by lifestyle as well as, if needed, medication. So 80%. One of the biggest ones that we can lower our risk with is quitting smoking. So tobacco remains a real problem, and that includes vaping. Um, so while it's both lifestyle changes as well as pharmacologic treatment, if necessary, 80% of these risk factors are really modifiable. And I'm glad you mentioned vaping because I don't think enough people emphasize that. Vaping makes me crazy, especially when you see these little tweens they must pay somebody $5 to go into the convenience store and get them their, their, their vape, whatever they're called. And people are under the impression that they're inhaling steam. Am I right? There are inflammatory particles in there that break down to formaldehyde and acetaldehyde. No, thank you. They're cancer-causing agents, too. You got it absolutely right, Marianne. So, you know, we think of the cigarette as the culprit here. And indeed, the cigarette remains the main culprit. But with the pendulum swinging towards so much vaping, we're getting more and more aware of the risks associated with it. And it too, as you said, inflammatory. And we know that that's half the atherosclerotic process or plaque buildup process, as well as cancer risk. One well, thing too, I liked the other day when you said, you can take cholesterol lowering drugs, but you can't take your pill and then turn around and eat a cheeseburger. I mean, you know, once a year, twice a year, but you can't, you still have to modify your diet. It's not just about pushing that button, taking the pill and then eat whatever you like. You got that spot on. It's got to be a comprehensive approach to lowering your risk. So yes, taking your statin medication or any of your cholesterol lowering medication lowers your numbers and lowers your risk. But if you're countering it with that very inflammatory processed meal of a cheeseburger and french fries, you're certainly counteracting the benefits and losing that potential additional risk reduction with adhering to a healthy diet. Mm -hmm. So we were so fortunate that the American Heart Association meeting was held in Philly in November. And let's talk about some of the developments from that. The new a risk assessment that prevent online calculator. Tell us about that if you would. Yeah, this is a this is a, a big change um, after ten years. So we've had a, a risk calculator that we rely on. You could put it on your phone. You could plug it into the computer. After ten years, the Heart Association has updated its cardiovascular disease risk calculator for all adults between age thirty and eighty without known cardiovascular disease. And prevent stands for the predicting risk 
of cardiovascular disease events. And it's a calculator that's based on some newer data from a, a larger, more diverse sample than the prior tool. So it's really important because this has now cast a wider net, it has more diversity, and it also takes into account other health conditions which were not previously accounted for, such as kidney disease and metabolic disease, such as obesity and diabetes, and then determining the 10- and 30-year risk or chance of developing not only atherosclerotic disease, which is plaque buildup, but also heart failure. So previously, heart failure was not taken into account. And this newer risk assessment will be much more comprehensive and a better assessment of what what someone's risk might be. Mm -hmm. So I went in the other day online to look at it, and it does ask sex, age, if you know it, your total cholesterol, your HDL, which is the good cholesterol, your, I, I guess that's systolic blood pressure, SBP. Correct. Mm -hmm. So the Correct. upper number on your count for our listeners, maybe 120 over 80 or whatever that upper number is, your BMI. And they also ask, as you mentioned, kidney function, and you may or may not know this, but you can go into your my chart or whatever and access GFR. That tells us how much your kidneys are filtering. But anyway, you'll see it on your labs as uh, as E GFR. And as you say, smoking. If you're on medications for blood pressure or uh, cholesterol, so that in itself is going to be a big boost to helping with prevention. You know what else I thought was really fascinating? This article that just came out. And you were obviously aware of it, that women um, may have more protection from just regular uh, leisure exercise than men, that women exercise less and still get greater cardiac protection. How does, how does that map out? Yes, I love bringing the conversation back to the discussion on prevention because when we talk about the modifiable risk factors, and I always mention, you know, the ones that can be controlled with lifestyle, exercise is one that people have a tough time getting their head around. You know, people think they need to, they need to um, buy the $150 sneakers, join the gym for another $150. And what this study shows is that this is not necessarily the case, that any form of exercise, physical activity, can really significantly lower your risk of a heart attack and stroke. And this study showed that women who uh, exercise regularly have a significantly lower risk of early death and fatal heart events, um, more so than maybe even men. So the benefit really is astonishing. And what they showed that it, it, it applies to all types of exercise. So this includes moderate aerobic activity, such as just brisk walking or vigorous exercise, such as taking a spinning class. And women had a significant reduction. I'm talking, you know, two and a half hours a week a uh, 25, nearly 25% reduction in risk. That's pretty dramatic for just a lifestyle change. Um, I always resort back when we have this conversation, though, I always resort back to the old data. And the old science shows us that the biggest leap can be achieved by just getting out of the sedentary category. So if you're a couch potato and you're sedentary and you just start moving, and I'm talking just moving, like moving your body 30 minutes a day in any way, you can lower your risk by 20 to 30%. Wow. So that's where the biggest leap is really to be achieved, is just getting active. And I know that uh, for all the years I've worked at Jefferson, my office is on one floor, our 
endoscopy suites on another floor. So just going up those flights of steps, maybe 15, 20 times a day, it's two flights, um, or running to another building for a meeting. My watch definitely picked up more than 10,000 steps a day when I was at work. And that, I always felt guilty that I wasn't, you know, getting up at five in the morning and going to the gym first. But um, my, my brain was definitely on a treadmill. Yeah. <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed it. And that's why I love this whole, um, you know, patients come in all the time and talk about the number of steps they put in. That that caught on, and that's that's a really great barometer of activity, right? I did ten thousand steps a day. People can't quantify if they ran on the or they can, but then they feel that they haven't done it if they didn't go to the gym and run on the treadmill or do some formal structured exercise. But it's easy to account for ten thousand steps, and it's, I think it's fabulous. I'm a list maker, so before I go to bed, I make a list of things I have to do for the next day, <laughs> and we all love those metrics. We all love to be able to say. Ding, I did that today, I did that today. So I think that's part of it too. So diet. I, I picked up on an article the other day that said um, possibly benefits of using a salt substitute that has more potassium uh, and less sodium. But the, the jury's out on that. But you say the Mediterranean diet is still king, yes? Tried and true. So, you know, it's hard to it's hard to study diet because yes. People don't adhere to diets very long. And so it can be hard to study them, but we have done it. And there's a lot of concepts out there, like you and I talked about the other day, low carb. I think patients come in all the time and have wildly different concepts about what low carb actually mm. is. Yeah. Um, because when you think about there's even vegetables like peas or carbs, when you think about exactly, it, corn. And, exactly. Well, and these things pop up in the literature like niacin. Remember when niacin was the hot additive that it's vitamin B3, it acts like a cholesterol lowering drug and it ended up not having as much value as expected. And now I'm reading that it might actually increase your risk for cardiovascular disease. There's something, um, yeah, there's something in the literature more recently to suggest it can actually be pro-inflammatory, which we know is bad for the blood vessels. So I think, you know, the data isn't solid yet, but there is some signal there that looks like there might actually be an increased risk for niacin. Mm -hmm. So Mediterranean diet, and please, listeners, before you go to a health food store, health food or health store always sounds like healthy, but anything that you put into your mouth, any over-the-counter preparation or drug, please check with your doctor. It might interfere with other meds and it might not be as uh, beneficial as we once thought. Let's take a little break and when we come back, more with Dr. Helene Glassberg. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you. Everyday heroes like firefighters, teachers, farmers, and healthcare workers. Doctors and hospitals across the region have IBX, and they know what it means to have reliable access to care. So whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life, count on IBX, the region's number one health insurer for 85 years. Learn more at IBX.com. This is Dr. Marianne Ritchie. 
Colon cancer, the number two cause of cancer death. Initial screening has been lowered from age 50 to 45 because numbers are rising in younger people. Join the Blue Lights campaign in March. Put a strand of blue lights on your home or business, a blue light on your porch. Send a photo of your lights or of you wearing blue to info at bluelightscampaign.com, info at bluelightscampaign.com. Stop cancer, get screened. Welcome back to your radio doctor. We're so happy to have the company of Dr. Holine Glassberg, and we're learning a lot about updates in cardiology. I really would like it, Helene, if you could explain the calcium count, what it measures, and how you interpret the results, because you end up getting a number and then a percentage relative to your age. Let's talk yeah. about that a little. Yeah, this is a great question. Um, I spent a lot of time talking about the calcium score test. I think one of the most important messages about the test is to understand what it's used for. Mm-hmm. So the test simply does what it says it's doing. It's looking for calcium in your arteries. It's a CAT scan. Just like your ribs show up white on a chest x-ray because they're calcium and the lungs are black because they're air. Similar kind of concept. So all it sees is calcium in the arteries and then it quantifies how much is in there. It's not showing narrowing. It doesn't tell you if you have a severe narrowing. And it doesn't see soft plaque. It only sees calcium. And then you get a quantification of that. So you can have a score of zero, which means it doesn't see any calcium. You can have a score of 1,200, and there's a lot of calcium. Mm. And we can actually categorize people into low, intermediate, or higher risk. Low would be generally under 100, but zero being the lowest. So under 100 doesn't mean you don't need to do something about it. Just would be a lower long-term risk of significant disease, whereas 100 to maybe 400 intermediate risk, over 400 or more, is considered high risk, meaning burden of coronary disease. That percentile is based on age and sex. So sometimes I'll have you know a young-ish woman come in and say, oh my gosh, my calcium store is 20 puts me in the 90th percentile. Mm -hmm. And they get very worried. And while, yes, that may be higher than compared to other women same age, 20 wouldn't necessarily be a high risk number. So it's it's a presence of calcium result, but it's not necessarily a high risk result. And this test should be used to determine who you should treat with mostly statin therapy. It's its main goal is to determine who would benefit from a statin. And it's applied to people who are falling into that intermediate risk category where you can't decide maybe, you know, my LDL is 125, my bad cholesterol is 125, but I don't have any other risk factors. I'm middle age, I have a family history. You're falling into that middle risk where not it's not clear that the benefits would outweigh the risk of statin therapy. But if you have coronary calcium, that sort of sways the decision towards you're likely to benefit because if you have some calcium in there where there's smoke, there's fire, and there's probably soft plaque in there that we're not seeing that we really want to get more aggressive with. The hard plaque is um, calcified, perhaps? That's right. Hard plaque is calcified. So does that just sit there and you're worried about the soft plaque because that's what's likely to flick off and embolize? Yes. So while Mm -hmm. hard plaque 
which can also go untreated to become obstructive and narrowed and limit blood flow. Soft plaque is the tricky one because that's the plaque that is soft and vulnerable to rupturing open and causing an abrupt or acute heart attack. So both are really important at treatment. So the calcium, as you say, where there's smoke, the calcium sees the hard plaque, but it doesn't pick up the soft plaque. And that's kind of public enemy number one. Yes. That's right. And that's oh. what I meant by where there's smoke, there's fire. If, oh. you have, if you have hard plaque, you very likely have soft, soft plaque. That's how it got to be hard in the first place. So mm-hmm. there's some in there. And so you don't need to prove that it's there. The calcium reflects the process. So and who should get that calcium count then? People that have an elevated cholesterol or family history or both? What, what sends a person for a count? So we often use that risk predictor that you and I were talking about a moment oh. ago. And the people that fall into that middle risk. So if you're over 10% risk, generally speaking, your benefits of treatment outweigh your risks. And if you're mm-hmm. less than 5%, low risk and we should continue to monitor and watch with lifestyle but in between five to say seven and a half percent where we say not so sure or there's risk factors that we don't know enough about like the family history the genetics Mm. we'll often get the calcium score test to better make that decision and sometimes i'll also use it to identify how low i'm going to treat that ldl so not only should we be treating your cholesterol, but how low should we go? That's really a great explanation because I I agree with you. People, even myself, I got mine done and it wasn't perfect. And I thought, ah, what does this mean? But uh, you explained that so well. The other big news that's being um, really uh, encouraged is that women who have hypertension during pregnancy are, I mean, we've known this for a long time, are at a significantly increased risk of getting chronic high blood pressure but the, the new push, I think, is that that they're seen very regularly for at least one year after delivery. That's where you're going to be. That's your crystal ball. Am I right? Yeah. So it's important because, you know, women during pregnancy, they're, they're young. They're at mm-hmm. healthy ages at that point in their life. And to identify this, whether it be pregnancy-related hypertension or gestational diabetes, to identify these things during pregnancy is to understand that that woman is at increased risk of having both of those illnesses at later ages, which also translates into a higher cardiovascular risk. So it's not just I had hypertension when I was pregnant and now I'm at risk for hypertension. It also translates into higher cardiovascular risk. Sure. Well, and I know gestational diabetes, possibly an eight-fold increase in getting type 2 diabetes later. And we know that obesity, especially during pregnancy, adds to the mix of, of risk. And yeah, that's just... a real important one, right? Because diabetes is one of our most important risk factors. So we don't want to miss an opportunity to identify those women who are at risk, not only for getting diabetes, but all that risk that comes with mm-hmm. having diabetes. And I know that Penn has a wonderful women's cardiovascular health program and uh, a pregnancy and heart disease program. People should know that because that's really special. And your colleague, uh, Dr. Jennifer Louie, is one of the uh, the director of the cardiovascular program and co-director of the pregnancy and heart disease program. So women that have one of these, one or more of these comorbidities, either the hypertension or gestational diabetes, um, are more likely to have a heart attack or stroke 
in, at younger ages too. Am I right about that? That's right. That's oh. right. Because they're really starting with their risk factors at this young age of pregnancy. And our program, as you mentioned, really is it's really wonderful because it's a comprehensive program that involves both my partners who are cardiologists, but the OBGYNs, and they work hand in hand oh, with nice. these women throughout their pregnancy, but then they can be followed longitudinally with the cardiologist as they become those later ages, looking for these risk factors and keeping close eye on them. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. Does the mother's hypertension or high blood pressure and or gestational diabetes, did that affect the heart health of the growing baby? It can, and it and it it can affect the overall health of the the fetus and the child itself. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. So that's another reason we're we're saying these things so that listeners know that if they face these issues, be so careful. You're thinking about yourself, and you're thinking about that little baby, who's you know innocent here. We got to give him or her the best start. So. Follow up with your doc, and, and after you deliver the baby, be so careful to go for regular checkups for the following year. Inflammation. I feel like, you know, if we didn't all learn more about inflammation from COVID, we never will. But, you know, <laughs> you're so that. good about following cholesterol, but you also talk about your worries about inflammation. And, uh, I mean, obesity stirs inflammation that bumps our risk for cancers and heart disease and vascular disease. Let's talk about inflammation a little bit because it would be nice if we could measure it more easily. That's right. So it, we know now what we didn't used to know. We used to think that plaque in the arteries, this blockage that you get, was all due to cholesterol buildup. And that's in part true. So, you know, oxidized LDL and, and cholesterol plays a major role. But the other half of this story is inflammation. It's aggravating to the blood vessels. So all these inflammatory cells that come to the site of where this plaque is starting to build up contribute to further buildup. And we do have some markers. So one of the you know mainstream markers that we measure in the bloodstream is called CRP or C-reactive protein. Mm -hmm. and we can measure that. And we use this as a marker of inflammation and a predictor of risk. So I will often order that in the office to better predict someone's risk again, especially if they're in that intermediate category and I'm looking for other other factors that might be at play to put that person at risk. And it's not a specific test, so it doesn't tell you necessarily where that inflammation is coming from, but it does show that there's an incre there is an increase in inflammation to some extent in that person that might be putting them at higher risk of heart mm -hmm. disease. And as you say, inflammation in general, one of the things that made me bring this up was an article that said inflammation associated with HPV may markedly increase a woman's risk. That doesn't mean if you have HPV, you're, you're automatically going to have a heart attack or a stroke. But again, if we throw it into the blender that, and include obesity and other factors, it's another contributor, yes? Absolutely. And well, I think the, you know, the HPV data is interesting because it's very common, right? So HPV is so very right. common, but it's really all infections. So if you think about it, inflammation that occurs because you have autoimmune disease or any infection right. can increase your risk, especially if it's a chronic inflammatory process, right? So, you know, we it, like if you have untreated HPV or other infections, you can actually mm -hmm. see an increase in the CRP, which translates into a more inflammatory process. And we actually had studies, cardiology studies that looked at this. I think I mentioned these to you 
where they they were statin studies, but they had an arm where they treated people with antibiotics as well, because we knew this inflammation was part of it. Um, and the antibiotics didn't actually pan out because it wasn't the infection per se, but it was the inflammation that came with the infection mm. that was stirring things up. And so I guess that's the age old question of should people take a daily baby aspirin or that's why aspirin is considered. But, you know, like I was reading too that psoriasis, as you say, systemic inflammatory conditions, women that have rheumatoid arthritis have in some cases a threefold increase of heart attack, even if they don't have other traditional uh, risk factors. It's really kind of fascinating. That's right. Psoriasis is a big one. People have studied psoriasis and heart disease because it's a chronic inflammatory condition. Um, and so while you should be treating the thing that's causing the inflammation, you might also looking be looking towards treating your high cholesterol and your cardiovascular right. risk factors because you yeah, have yeah. that condition. And polycystic ovary syndrome, Stein-Leventhal syndrome we used to memorize, is also, it's on the rise globally. That's also being linked with heart disease, yes? Absolutely, because with it comes all those wow. metabolic risk factors, right? right? So your cholesterol derangement and inflammation. So we're sharing this with our listeners so that as they hear it and they say, oh, I have this or that, it makes them more aware. This is fantastic, Helene. Let's take a little break and hear about this week's Your World Champions, and we'll be back with more from Dr. Helene Glassberg. And now for your real champion. I call this segment, The Story of Lazarus. Jim McBride loves his life, but just over a year ago, he almost lost it. It was December 14 of 2022. After 40 easy laps in the pool at the Springfield Y, he looked forward to relaxing in the men's hot tub. Now, Jim had always loved to swim. He was a lifeguard by age 16. And in 2014, his nephew challenged him to compete in a one-mile ocean swim in Sea Isle City, New Jersey. He noticed an elderly woman in the race and figured she'd never finish. In the end, she whooped him. In fact, Jim fatigued pretty quickly and was embarrassed to admit it, coming out of the water feeling exhausted. He turned his sights to training through the winter and continued ocean races in Sea Isle, Ocean City, and Atlantic City. In late spring one year, he even trained in a man-made lake, learning how to pace himself for ocean swimming. The security camera showed that Jim entered the hot tub at 2.22 p.m., and by 2.30, he was lying face up. At the exact same time, two 16-year-old lifeguards were just coming in through the hot tub area to clock in for their shift, beginning at 2.30. Gabriel Demedio was on the phone to let his mom know he had arrived on time. Peter McMonagall happened to notice another member of the pool standing near the hot tub who said, I think this man's having a heart attack. Peter instantly jumped into the hot tub completely dressed and found that Jim was not breathing and had no pulse. He pulled Jim out of the water and immediately began CPR. Peter had just had his tonsils out the week before, so he couldn't call for more help. That same nearby pool member called out to the pool deck. Gabriel pushed the alarm button to call for an ambulance, then ran back to the hot tub area with the AED. Without hesitation, he strapped the sensors to Jim and delivered a shock. Gabriel remembers that Jim woke up and took a deep gasp. It was like watching a zombie come back to life. Several guards joined as a team to stabilize Jim and even clear the vomitus out of his mouth once he was jolted awake. 
The ambulance took Jim to the hospital where he had successful bypass surgery that same night. There are a tremendous number of coincidences in this story. Peter and Gabriel, 16-year-old sophomores at Springfield High School, usually walk to work, but they were running late on that fateful day, and their ride dropped them at the exact moment that placed them near the hot tub just as Jim passed out. Secondly, Peter had been certified for CPR for only two months and Gabriel for only one month. And lastly, many people submerge in the hot tub to the chest. That day, Jim slid down to his neck and rested his head back on the hot tub edge. If he had been sitting up, he would have landed face down into the water. Luckily, he landed face up. Jim McBride is a grateful man for many reasons. After a long and happy career with the TSA, he retired in December of 2021. Then at age 67, he got married for the first time in his life in June of 2022. He smiles when he knows that he got engaged on the anniversary of his father's 100th birthday. Six months after the wedding, he came very close to dying, but the swift action of two angels kept him here. Several days after surgery, his wife went to the YMCA to retrieve his belongings and learned a lot more about the story. Jim's so thankful that he's a swimmer, which placed him in a setting where people knew CPR. He may not have been so lucky if it had been a public area where he wasn't noticed, like a mall. Jim thanks the Lord for his second chance because he knows that less than 10% of patients who experience cardiac arrest outside a hospital survive. He finds comfort in reading the Bible and believes the Lord has a purpose for him. Jim says, you want to do in life something that will continue when you're not here, your reputation. After recovering, Jim trained in CPR and became a Red Cross certified lifeguard and now has a part-time job as a lifeguard at the same pool where he was rescued the year before. He says, I want to help people in need the same way these boys helped me. Jim, Peter, and Gabriel are bonded as friends for life. That day has left a permanent mark on the boys as well. Peter said, I learned to never take anything for granted. Live your life the best way you can and do the right thing. He hopes to follow his brother's path into the U.S. Marines. Gabriel has become much more of his surroundings and finds himself scouting for AEDs when he's in public places. I thoroughly enjoyed speaking to Peter and Gabriel. Both boys are remarkable, not just because they rose to the occasion, but because they're humble, polite, and focused on their commitment. It was truly refreshing to talk to these young men who offer hope for tomorrow. Jim has also become an ardent advocate for learning CPR and using the AED, so he visits high schools to spread the word. I asked what happened when his heart stopped, and he doesn't recall seeing the white light or walking to the pearly gates but he does remember that when he woke up at the Y, his eyes fell on the aquatic director, whose name was Hope. And he quickly realized that he was saved by St. Peter and the angel Gabriel. We salute you, Jim McBride, Peter McMonagall, and Gabriel DiMedio, your real champions. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you. Everyday heroes like firefighters, teachers, farmers, and healthcare workers. 
Doctors and hospitals across the region have IPX, and they know what it means to have reliable access to care. So whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life, count on IBX, the region's number one health insurer for 85 years. Learn more at IBX.com. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. We're learning so much from Dr. Helene Glassberg, a cardiologist from the University of Pennsylvania and the president of our local chapter, the American Heart Association. Helene, I'm glad you're wearing red yes, today. All month, the city is all in red. Yahoo, we want people to know. Learning so much about just learning the one fact is going to motivate me to get out and move because just even leisurely take a walk around the block or going up and down steps instead of elevator, all those things are more beneficial to women than men. That doesn't mean men shouldn't do it too, but it, you, as you say, you don't have to put on you know, gym clothes and go to a special place to, to get that benefit. So speaking of personal habits, what about personal electronic devices? I can't mention any trade names, but you can put your finger on a monitor and see if you're in normal rhythm or irregular rhythm. You can wear a watch to detect. Tell us about those monitors. Should I get one? So wearable devices are certainly on the upswing and are all the rage when connecting with your own cardiovascular health and your physician. And they can be very, very helpful in a lot of circumstances. And there are, as you mentioned, a lot of varieties out there. We don't need to name names, but there are quite a quite a select choices depending mm -hmm. on what it is you are looking for. So the smart watches, most of them, um, and there's a couple that can also attach to the phone and be applied to an app on the phone as well, are finger devices that help detect arrhythmia, specifically atrial fibrillation. So a lot of the smartwatches are purchased specifically for that indication. They're not so bad at detecting it. So, you know, the, the utility of that is that you can get symptoms. It, the, the watch often itself can detect the arrhythmia, but if you get symptoms, you can also capture a tracing save it onto the phone. And then if you don't have any ability to interpret it and the watch sometimes gets it and sometimes doesn't, you can transmit that information to your doctor. So on a daily basis, I get tracings from someone's smartwatch or their phone device um, saying, am I in atrial fibrillation? And sometimes, you know, this is the way we pick it up. We can send patients monitors and Sometimes we, we don't capture anything. Um, so they are really becoming very useful in the detection of specifically arrhythmias like atrial fibrillation. I think what's important to know is the limitations of the devices. So while they're, they're quite good at detecting something like atrial fibrillation, what they don't do is detect a heart attack. So it's not because it's an EKG that you can now pick up the findings that are heart attack. And not all EKGs even pick it up. So if you think you're having a heart attack, please don't don't count on your wearable device. This is something you seek medical attention for. Plus, the devices could pick up atrial fibrillation. We know there are many abnormal heart rhythms. Atrial fibrillation is one that you hear people toss around because they hear of AFib. But there are other rhythms that, and AFib can be dangerous, but um, it can also be 
without symptoms. Somebody might not even know they have it. That's the whole point of these devices. And if you go in that's and right. out of it, that's dangerous. Without getting into that, does it pick up rhythms like VFib um, and and SVT? And not that I'm trying to be uh, esoteric here, my listeners, but there are other rhythms. Is what's the capacity? Of, as you say, it's not going to tell you if you're having a heart attack. So yeah. you know, rhythm's one thing, but if you're having chest pain, sweaty, sick, call nine one one. Don't even call your doctor. Call nine one one. But what do you think about other rhythms? Does it pick them up as well? So it's it's not that it won't pick them up. It just may not diagnose them. So it depends on how you have your your smart your smartwatch set. If it's just mm. for like heart rate parameters, it will alert you. But you have to record the tracing. So while it's programmed oh. to say looks like you're in atrial fibrillation, it's not programmed to say looks like you're in SVT which is a different atrial arrhythmia. But it doesn't mean you can't record SVT. So if you're having symptoms or your heart rate's suddenly 200 on your Apple, on your smartwatch, and you record it, you could transmit that to me and I can say, hey, this looks like SVT. So it's not, it's not uh, programmed to make the diagnosis, gotcha. but it can, it can still be acquired. Good to know. So it detects it. And when you see anything that's, that's left of center, it's not perfect, you're going to send it to Dr. Glassberg or your doctor and let her interpret because what you're saying is the watch or device can't speak the words. It doesn't have a name for it. That's right. So it won't make the diagnosis, but it can pick up, especially since most of our arrhythmias are at extremes of heart rates, right? So the ventricular arrhythmias, the SVTs, they're at very, very high heart rates, and it can also detect very, very low heart rates. So if you detect that on your smart mm. device, you can record and then have your doctor interpret it. And then document it. That's awesome. That's right. Okay, good to know. That's a really important point for people to hear. So CPR, how many kajillions of times? We just heard that story of three champions. We have a 67-year-old man who was a lifeguard at age 16, does ocean swims. He does 40 easy laps at the Y gets into the hop tub. Fortunately, he puts his head back. A lot of people sit up, you know, only going to waist high. He decided to submerge a little more to his shoulders, put his head back. Had he passed out and and face planted, he might not be here. All the stars and planets were aligned. The lifeguards were changing shift. Somebody was right next to the hot tub, noticed, pulled him out, did CPR. Two 16-year-old boys. One had been certified for a month. One had been certified for two months. One did CPR. The other one defibrillated him with the AED. And basically he zapped him back into life. And the two boys were shocked, but they they were just trained. And I always say to my own children, you have to know where the break is if the truck starts to roll backwards down the hill. And if you have CPR training, you know where the break is. You might hesitate, you might be a little nervous, but it's better than never having any training, yes? That is such a good correlate to it. Yes, I agree. Know where the break is. So as you said, for this for this gentleman that you just described, the stars aligned, but they aligned because the two people there knew CPR and were so poorly under-trained, especially in Philadelphia. We have some oh. of the worst survival rates for out-of-hospital out cardiac arrest because, A, people aren't trained, be because people are afraid. So yes. people are afraid that they're going to be held accountable legally if they do yep. CPR and they don't do it right. So number one, no CPR. Be trained. We just got done saying heart disease is the number one killer. Chances are good someone in your life 
is going to have a heart problem. And if it's cardiac yeah. arrest, be CPR trained. So I think this is, and it's such an easy task to accomplish. CPR training is really widely available out there. Um, and the, your your story says it all. Those two boys were just recently trained and saved that man's life. Um, the other point about, you know, being held accountable should you have done it wrong. We often say in medicine, you did it right if you broke a rib. So you're, that can be fixed. A rhythm, mm -hmm. a, you know, a fatal arrhythmia, if not done properly, can't be. So we we often say it was done properly if you if you broke a rib, and uh, we do have the Good Samaritan law. You are not going to be held legally liable for anything if you initiated CPR on someone who has collapsed. Right. That's what I wanted to hear people to hear the Good Samaritan law. You are rewarded for the effort because maybe that person didn't have a chance to survive any anyway. Whether you you know, were 110% perfect or only 99% perfect. And the other thing that should make CPR less unappealing, not necessarily more appealing, but less unappealing, is that we don't do mouth-to-mouth -mouth immediately anymore, right? We want to get the blood flowing first. Let's talk about that for a second. That's absolutely right. So it's called hands-only CPR now. So there is no two breaths and then initiate mm -hmm. the CPR part of it. It's hands-only, which means uh, you skip that part. You don't have to do the mouth-to-mouth. -mouth. You just got to get circulation going, and that's the chest compressions. And there's not a lack uh, of resources. I mean, high schools have night school courses, uh, ambulance companies. You can get a CPR course. All you have to do is go online and find it in your community. You got that right. I mean, let me put a plug in for the Heart Association because this has um, become one of our very biggest initiatives, especially locally. We have provided CPR kits to Philadelphia schools so that the kids can learn CPR. You can get on the Heart Association website and find out where you can locally learn how to take a class. We have kiosk machines. Oh, yeah including in some of the sports stadiums and in my own hospital institution, where the kiosk machine has a demonstration, it has a mannequin, you can get a, a little tutorial and practice and see how you did. So there's so many ways to learn CPR. It's become widely accessible. You're right. You can get online and find a, a spot near, near home to learn CPR. But that's brilliant. I love the kiosk idea because it does take some of the fear out of you if you're faced with that challenge. I did. I was in situations where CPR was needed seven times in five years, all in public, two on a plane. You've heard of snakes on a plane? Yeah. This is yeah. CPR on yeah. a plane. No, thank <laughs> me. <you. laughs> um, I'll never forget the one lady collapsed at the front, like near where the, the ladies' rooms are, the, the bathrooms are near the pilot. And she had fallen in the aisle. So I had to climb on the arms of the seats to get over her so we could slide her up to where the... Uh, I will never forget that day. And fortunately, <laughs> there was a woman on the plane. Her name was Wendy. I called her Wendy Wonder Woman. She was an EMT and helped me get the Barbie doll size IV into this large lady. <laughs> but we saved her. Um, but you saved her because you knew CPR. Uh, and these are the circumstances we don't expect. You know, yes. I have the same story. I don't think I've done CPR because we have so many staff in our hospital and we have a team. Right. I don't think I've done CPR in the hospital in the last several years. But sure enough, I was at a formal event in a dress, of course, when I needed to pull out my CPR skills. So no team, no hospital equipment. And sure enough, I had to do it at an event. So just like you, two physicians here telling the stories about how we did bystander oh, CPR. Oh, yeah. 
another really cute article, cute, I'm saying health, great article, but it, it said that caregivers are linked to better cardiovascular health. In other words, people that have um, relationships with children, especially grandparents, that 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 keeps them, I guess, happier and healthier. Maybe it's a motivating fact. Do you think it's the moving around part? What do you think about, I mean, I am a granny. I, yeah, I think it's everything. Certainly grandpops, grandmoms and grandpops are keeping moving on their feet. Oh, yeah. So probably a little physical activity uh-huh. there. Um, and I think the good endorphins and, and, you know, we know that type A, type A personalities have a higher risk. So I think when you counter that with good stuff, I think, you know, all that stuff plays into our overall wellness. That's a really good point that when you, that, you know, you run around after your grandchildren, but when you sit on the couch and read 77 books or watch um, The Little Mermaid, Mermaid, well, I'm way dated on that one, for the hundredth time and love it, it, it really takes out some of that type A and lets you chill with the children. Absolutely. I think that's why we let, we let pets in the hospital now. Right? <gasps> we know that oh. our fluffy, our furry, our furry kids make us healthier. Too, I think we should so. bring our beagles in. Beagles are the most loving yeah. dogs. Oh, Anybody you, says you, my listeners could hate me. Beagles are number one. Let's have a beagle party. I'm yeah. ready. Let's take a little break. And when we return, we'll have our weekly segment to wrap up. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you. Everyday heroes like firefighters, teachers, farmers, and healthcare workers. Doctors and hospitals across the region have IBX, and they know what it means to have reliable access to care. So whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life, count on IBX, the region's number one health insurer for 85 years. Learn more at IBX.com. This is Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Colon cancer, the number two cause of cancer death. Initial screening has been lowered from age 50 to 45 because numbers are rising in younger people. Join the Blue Lights campaign in March. Put a strand of blue lights on your home or business, a blue light on your porch. Send a photo of your lights or of you wearing blue to info at bluelightscampaign.com, info at bluelightscampaign.com. Stop cancer, get screened. And welcome back to our final segment of Your Regular Doctor. We call this segment, Your Weekly Prescription. Helene Glassberg, I always love talking to you. You explain things so beautifully and you're so energetic. And I really think you're a great ambassador for many reasons for um, heart disease prevention, but also the American Heart Association. What's your take home message? So a couple take home messages that come straight from my heart and the Heart Association is know your numbers. So when we were talking about prevention, know your numbers, know your body mass index, know your blood pressure, know your cholesterol, know your blood sugar, and make sure that you understand that these are modifiable risk factors. Know your numbers and you know adhere, adhere to a healthy lifestyle. And number two take home message, CPR, CPR, CPR. Let's mm. learn CPR. You don't want to look back and say, well, you know, the ground wasn't perfectly flat. The conditions weren't perfect. You'd much rather do your best than be a pallbearer at your loved one's funeral. Yes? Absolutely. I think that's the image. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us about the hardball March 23, which is great. It's later in the spring. It's the weekend before Easter. So it's Palm Sunday weekend, March 23 at the National Constitution Center. I love that for your venue. The most awesome part of it 
It's the 100-year anniversary of the American Heart Association. Yes. Tell us about the ball. This is a big year for us. So, yes, indeed, it is the 100-year anniversary of the Heart Association. And I think that this heart ball event in Philadelphia is going to be a true celebration of that centennial. We expect a big crowd with a lot of red dresses. And it's, as you said, on March 23rd at the heart of Philadelphia, the National Constitution Center. So I think it's a real testament to the hard work of the Heart Association, all these people that I work with who are amazing advocates for lowering the risk of heart disease around the globe, and particularly in Philadelphia. Heartball, March 23rd. How do people get tickets if they'd like to attend? You can actually get on the, uh, you can Google Heartball Philadelphia or get on the American Heart Association website. Okay, beautiful. Helene Glassberg, you are such a superstar cardiologist, and I know you bring love with every consultation you provide. And I know I speak for our listeners. I know I speak for myself. I heart you. I heart you back, Marianne. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. And uh, congratulations, Queen of Hearts. Have a wonderful time at the Heart Ball. I hope you have a red carpet to go with your red dress. I do, too. We'll see. (laughs) I think I need to be your marketing person. I do, too. I think you should definitely join me at the Heart Ball this year. And I I think as a queen of hearts, you should have a crown and a magic wand. (laughs) Can you just see it? I can arrange for that. (laughs) Take care. You, too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Your Radio Doctor every Saturday at 5 p.m. here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Listen again to any of our shows on odyssey.com. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. Thanks to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross. And now a word from Helio.com, the medical media company and information platform that offers the latest in healthcare news and information. Today, we discuss the most current headlines in cardiology. Visit Helio.com to read some of these articles. Women may experience greater mortality gains with physical activity than men. That's from February 19. Another article, the American Heart Association. One year period after pregnancy is a critical time to assess long-term cardiovascular disease risk from February 15. As Heart Month draws to a close, I want all my faithful listeners to remember that I heart you. Now remember that March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, so get your blue lights ready. Put a strand of blue lights on the front of your home or business. Put a blue bulb in your porch light. Help us remind everyone to get screened for colon cancer, the number two cause of cancer death, but it's preventable. Look to the sky all through Philly. This year, number 10, we've gotten all the major buildings in blue again. And get ready for next Saturday when we open season five of Your Radio Doctor. Lots of great guests lined up, including sports psychologist Dr. Joel Fish and one of our favorite Philadelphia Eagles, Connor Barwin. Please continue to pray for peace in our world, our country, our families, and in each of our own hearts. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love, and always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com.
This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you. Everyday heroes like firefighters, teachers, farmers, and healthcare workers. Doctors and hospitals across the region have IBX, and they know what it means to have reliable access to care. So whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life, count on IBX, the region's number one health insurer for 85 years. Learn more at IBX.com.